Hello, I'm Paul Bristow and I'm working with the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network to find and share stories of community-led climate action. As we live through and continue to cope with the ongoing pandemic, there's been lots of talk around a new normal. For the first time, many of us have started to question what was so normal about how we lived before anyway. And there's an increased interest in the space where climate action meets social justice, a green and just recovery, universal basic income, ideas once out in the fringes, maybe finding their time. The next few months and years, we'll see a battle to frame and tell that story, to make those changes. We need to take this opportunity to show how what we've seen in these last few months can help us imagine better and continue to make the case for action on the climate emergency. And so I want to learn more. Sometimes it maybe feels like everyone's just ploughing their own furrow, out in a limb, just getting on with it. But the collective effort across the country is remarkable. So over the next few months, I'm speaking to people and communities across Scotland to hear their stories of climate action, of hope and change. From big changes to small steps. I want to hear it all. And then together, we can look beyond the new normal to something better. Right now, it's January. It's grey and it's cold and two weeks in seems to have lasted forever. So it feels like a good time to look at ways other people are keeping warm. Mostly to look for some good news about how some communities in Scotland have transformed their energy use and production. Back in November and December, I spent a bit of time chatting online with folk who are leading the way in community energy. I was kindly introduced to everyone by Benny Talbot of Community Energy Scotland. CES recently published a report, Next Steps in Community Energy. It's a really comprehensive review of the sector, which you can read at communityenergyscotland.org.uk. Benny explains some more about the work of Community Energy Scotland. Community energy is when local people come together to develop their own local sustainable solutions to the problems we face in our energy system. The most common model is probably building a community-owned wind turbine or solar array that can sell energy to the grid, bringing in a long-term and stable income to the community group. Of course, generation is only one model, and many groups work on sustainable use of energy in their communities. For example, combating fuel poverty by supporting energy efficiency measures and promoting a shift to low carbon heating, and um, working on sustainable transport through electric vehicles, 20-minute neighbourhoods, or active travel. Community Energy Scotland is an independent, membership-based charity. We exist to support the growth of community energy across Scotland through education, advocacy and direct collaboration. This can be through providing technical or project management support or in trialling new and innovative approaches to energy projects. The real strength of community energy is in its ability to form alliances and forge partnerships that can find local solutions to the multiple and sometimes conflicting problems we face. A project may empower and engage local residents but also support community land ownership provide a long-term income source to the community, local jobs and um, 
a counterweight against rural depopulation and reduce emissions in the face of the climate emergency. Our society now faces a time of unprecedented change and instability, with the climate breakdown, a global pandemic and the crisis of inequality coming on top of, in Scotland, probably the least equal distribution of land ownership and the least representative local democracy in Europe. We believe that the strength and resilience of our communities will be absolutely key in defining whether we can weather this storm and whether we can come out of it with a better and fairer society. The key question facing Scotland today is how we can build a green recovery, a recovery that creates a wave of new jobs while at the same time rapidly decarbonising our heat and transportation sectors. We believe that community energy has a vital role to play in that. That's through education, appropriate local solutions, maintaining public support and enduring a just transition. This podcast explores some of the actions that groups are already taking in these areas and the impacts that these are having. But, given the scale and the urgency of the situation, it's clear that ad hoc actions are no longer enough. We're calling on Scottish Government to draw up a national community energy strategy that plans action and coordinates across the whole of Scotland to ensure that no community is left behind. One of the groups I spoke to was Greener Kirkcaldy, and their work on energy efficiency sits within a whole suite of climate-related projects. Senior Energy Advisor Kitty O'Connor tells us more. Greener Kirkcaldy um, is a community-led charity, and it's also a development trust. So it works at a local scale to benefit people and the environment, and its work is focused on helping people to heat their homes affordably, to eat well, and to tread more lightly on the planet as well. Um, so we work on a variety of different projects, um, but because it's community-led, they're all projects that meet the needs and aspirations of the local community. And it started just over 10 years ago. A group of people got together that wanted to do a little bit more to tackle climate change um, and to support people in the community and it's gone from strength to strength since then so the first project that we started was in fact an energy advice project so we've been doing energy advice in one way or another since the beginning and that was in 2010 we were given funding to start an energy advice center on the high street in Kakodi where people could drop in, get support, get advice. And we worked alongside other statutory schemes, such as um, Home Energy Scotland. The project has grown in scale since then as well. Last year, we did over 1,600 home visits across Fife. We're now Fife wide, so it started being a very local project. Seven years ago, we partnered with a similar organisation to ours, St Andrews Environmental Network, who are based up in St Andrews, to expand the project from um, providing local energy advice in our areas to being able to cover the whole of Fife between us, make sure that nobody's left behind. And we have another partner in our project. The project is called the um, called Cozy Kingdom. And our other partner is Citizens Advice Rights Fife. So they have a designated healthy heating officer that helps people and that we can refer 
people onto and they'll provide support um, with income maximization, budgeting, debt advice, benefit checks. So together we can provide a really comprehensive service. Michael Hildrew from the Cozy Kingdom project explains a little more about how the home visit part of the service works. So a lot of people we visit this could be potentially in crisis or um, just struggling day to day. And you also get people who, you know, maybe haven't realised there's an issue in the home. Um, a lot of the stuff we're aware of, we're knowledgeable about people in the day-to-day lives, day-to-day lives sorry, aren't really aware of that. Um, you know, for example, tariffs, meter setups, the way the heating controls work. Uh, it could be such a simple thing. Um, the one that always jumps out to me is a, a elderly lady in a tower block of flats in Kakodi um, who had new heating put in, um, you know, costing the fortune. And, you know, you're going around the house with her and you're trying to find out what's using so much electric. And it turns out the hot water tank was sitting on, but she'd never really um, used that hot water tank. She had an electric shower in, which ran off directly off the mains water and heated it up as it passed through it. And she used a kettle uh, for washing the dishes, really. And she had a little tabletop dishwasher as well. Um, so she'd been using that electric uh, immersion heated boiler to heat her water up for years and years without really realising she didn't need to have that on. Um, and obviously that had a massive impact on the bills. Uh, again, other people, it's, you know, trying to potentially, they're sitting in the home, they can't use the heating because they can't afford it. So all the different things you can put in place for them enables them to be, be warm for a change. Um, which can be quite a profound change for someone who's potentially not eating for months, if not years. Um, sometimes they, they've been able to stay warm there. Um, again, people, you know, we also refer to our partners at Sins Advice to get benefit checks done. And some people have um, missed out on life-changing amounts of benefits. Um, you know, one family I can remember is up to £9,000 uh, they've been missing out on, which, you know, you can probably imagine, um, you know, able to use a heater and they're able to get proper food shopping in afford, you know, the things they couldn't afford before uh, for their family and obviously probably disabilities as well, enable them to live with those a bit better there. We can help people a lot of different ways. It's not just about, you know, reducing carbon or, you know, saving money. Um, people may have billing problems with the suppliers and they may have debt with their energy company as well, which we can offer advice on and negotiate with that supplier for them uh, in that area. Um, we also can signpost people to grants and funding that may be available to help with reduction on bills or new heating systems and energy efficiency improvements to the home, um, such as their partner organisation, Home Energy Scotland, who we work quite closely with. Um, but also do a lot with people on behaviour change. So, you know, using the heating controls more efficiently, you know, using the appliances a bit more efficiently too. Um, you know, for example, electric showers, you know, turning those down a bit, using them a bit less frequently, turning appliances off standby. Uh, a lot of things people wouldn't really think to do on a day-to-day basis that when you add them all up together can make quite a big change to the to the um, energy bills and the, the quality of life at the home. So the energy advice work that we're doing, it has two main focuses. One is to reduce the energy usage and the carbon emissions that come from household energy use and the other is to make energy more equitable to help tackle um, fuel poverty, to um, look at the cost and affordability of energy for people as well.
We work very closely with different departments in the council as well. And one of the things that we support is providing advice during an area-based scheme. So if energy efficiency measures are being made to a particular area as part of the council's remit to, to improve that area, that street, it could be something like external wall insulation, it could be cavity wall insulation, loft insulation, top up. We'll support them with energy advice for the householders and we'll support them after the installations have been done, again, to ensure that they're making the best of those energy efficiency improvements. One of the things that we've noticed that I think most kind of organisations like ours will note is that house, every household's different. Energy advice is complicated. Um, it takes a long time to kind of build up trust and actually it can't be solved. Most people's energy dilemmas can't be solved that quickly. We often see participants um, more than once as well. So we provide ongoing support to people as well. And especially when it comes to bigger measures, making changes around energy efficiency, thinking about installing renewables, it takes a long time for those things to happen. But it could also take a long time to decide whether they're right for your home, to get the finances in place or to get the grant in place. For it to actually happen, you might need to find an installer. People are quite nervous about what the stages might be in making those changes and then to help them afterwards to make sure that those changes have really worked. Projects can take a very long time and we can work with households over a number of years as well. Predominantly we're funded through a service level agreement with Fife Council um, which is great because that gives us the stability to you know go on for sort of three-year block period at a time and um, so that's sort of uh, the council's got the targets surrounding fuel poverty and energy efficiency so we're one of the parts where we fit into that to enable them to meet those targets and um, so obviously gives us the backbone of the service um, to, to be here for people um, a lot of projects struggle year-to-year -year funding so because we've got the council there that enables us to you know be here for a considerable amount of time and a lot of people we see we see year-to-year -year for ongoing issues um, so it's quite nice that we're able to say right we'll come back next year for for example the warm home discount that opens up in the autumn 140 pounds they know they can rely on us in the next year for help with that longevity and sustainability for projects is key you're talking about the sorts of long-term changes and cultural turnaround that's required for community energy. But equally, community energy can potentially provide that sustainable income. Ewan Scott works for Baran Battersea Community Limited. The community company decided to get involved in the energy sector initially as a way of exploring financial sustainability for their organisation. Like many community groups, we got off the ground, but then we found ourselves dependent on grant aid for employing staff and basically functioning as a company. We got to the point whereby staff were spending a considerable proportion of their time trying to secure funding to support their own position, which struck us as being the wrong balance because really we, we couldn't take forward any development plans or apply for funding for specific projects, or at least the time allocated to that was diminished. So we had this idea, we wanted to become income dependent and we are also working against the backdrop of the company's mission statement, which I might as well get in um, here and now, which is to develop the economic, social and cultural sustainability of Barra and Battersea communities by harnessing and promoting the quality of its resources, people and environment for the long-term benefit of all members 
of our present and future community. Now, um, we're a couple of wee islands right out on the western seaboard. So really, the question was, what did we have that we could develop and that would generate a sustainable income for the company and allow us to act independently? And the obvious one, obviously, was wind. And so we focused in on that. It wasn't original. We weren't the first but it took a considerable amount of time and effort, particularly on the legals. And we were also challenged by having um, narrow single track roads and couldn't bear the weight of cranes and turbine sections. So we did have a first and that was we were one of the, the first groups, if the only group to date, that delivered the turbine and crane to the site via beach landing. Because of economies of scale, it didn't generate as much of an income as we anticipated. Um, we also had sizable grants to pay off or loans to pay off to um, lenders. But we were getting by and we were financially independent. However, we, we realized that it still wasn't really allowing us to tackle some of the, the main issues, such as fuel poverty and more recently in terms of net zero and carbon transition. And the big question was why? And the reason for that largely revolves around basically how the grid's configured and how policy to the grid is currently written and needs to be revised to reflect changing policy objectives and changing a structure of the grid from a centralised to a decentralised model. And, but at the moment we find ourselves probably generating a, about a third of the island's energy requirements. But if we ask to put an additional turbine up, the answer will be no because you're not allowed what are called any additional distributed energy resources, DRs, without you demand. And that's a little bit frustrating when you come back to that figure. We're only uh, contributing to about a third of the electrical demand on the island. And that situation's further exacerbated by and the fact that we're probably curtailed about 40 days a year. By curtailed, I mean that if we're islanded, that means that we're, the electricity to the island is not coming from the national grid the western isles are powered by diesel generators then wind generators are turned off and that amounts to about 22 megawatts of capacity across the western isles um, of potentially lost renewable generation over that period so if you try and reconcile that as well with the fact that we, we've got <coughs> deadlines for uh, net zero, everyone's trying to affect uh, a carbon transition, yet when we're islanded, we're on diesel generation. And furthermore, that uh, we're not addressing the fuel poverty because uh, we're not allowed to effectively supply locally. We had an opportunity a couple of years ago to participate in the Coban pilot, which was taken forward by Local Energy Scotland, but funded by the Scottish Government and European funding from Interreg. The idea behind it was to take forward four pilots um, within Scotland to develop local energy plans and the associated methodology for developing local energy plans. So Baron Vattersea were one area, another was Oban, um, another Drumnadrocket, and another Bray up in Shetland. And we were very fortunate to be able to participate in that initiative in that we were able to develop the local energy plan with a series of actions 
and that was developed through involvement of both private business and a variety of other local groups as well as public agencies contributing. For us, the, the driver on all of this was that really we, we wanted a holistic overarching approach um, to energy and um, because we, we viewed energy as being a potential catalyst for the local energy economy. As we've seen, every community needs different solutions. So the sort of energy efficiencies delivered by Cozy Kingdom might not work as effectively on Barrow. There is only so much that you can do to improve the energy efficiency of the existing housing stock. People have tended to focus on internal insulation and cavity wall insulation. Personally, I would move the focus on to external insulation, which means it's less disruptive for households and people are more likely to buy in. But in terms of income levels in the Western Isles, people haven't got um, the level of um, disposable income in order to affect these changes, hence the fuel poverty. And I have to add that there, there are concerns in terms of creating a, a gap within society of those that can and those that cannot as you affect an energy transition. So the question is, how, how do you uh, reduce that gap to ensure that everybody benefits moving forward? One of the benefits of having a developed plan is that it's there when unforeseen opportunities arise. Recently, the Local Economic Recovery Group were exploring post-COVID recovery. We'd like you to identify two actions um, that we should focus on and take forward from um, the Local Energy Plan. So we went away and as I said, we've we've got an implementation group and we had a wee chat, reached a consensus uh, and we put forward two actions. One was um, to look at district heating systems and to try and tie that towards the development of the new educational and health hub that uh, the council are taking forward in Castlebay. And there are two potential locations for district heating systems, um, one in Castlebay adjacent to the hub and the other over in Vattersea. So it's a case of perhaps the way forward like in Scandinavian countries, is to stop um, this um, sort of individual focus in terms of each individual household and each individual household being responsible uh, for providing both their hot water requirements and their space heating requirements. And can we do it a different way? And by doing it a different way, can we make it more cost effective? So that's one action that's been taken forward. Um, but we were also asked to consider actions that would create local employment or help maintain local jobs and the best option we could identify for that was um, to continue to push on energy efficiency measures at a local level and i've touched on that earlier when i, I talked about external cladding um, but also in terms of there, there would be surveying um, involved um, an element of retrofit, but also perhaps creating additional employment um, in terms of new builds. One of the concerns there was that I'm, I'm sure everyone's seen these schemes in terms of replacement windows, in terms of replacement oil boilers, etc. That we are concerned in those replacement schemes that you get people I'm flying in, flying out, and there's no ongoing support if there are any issues. And so we would prefer such schemes to be delivered and administered at a local level. And I have to say that 
also applies to any groups that are interested in putting in a renewable asset, whether um, it's wind, it's hydro, um, it's tidal or whatever, that uh, you're on your back foot. If uh, you develop a fault and your turbine or whatever um, your renewable asset is, is down for a week, two weeks, and you can't get it repaired. And a lot of people have had this issue where on a, a private level, they, they've had solar panels installed, but there's no local support um, for maintaining that. And so do try and identify um, a company, an installer um, that is either local or you can tie in contractually to maintain for the repair and maintenance of the asset or otherwise you're going to lose money big style. Ewan's practical knowledge of running successful energy projects is exactly the sort of thing Community Energy Scotland exists to promote and to share. But although he's clear about what's possible, he is concerned about the pace of change in the face of the climate emergency. Everyone actually has to be in a state of readiness um, and they, they have to be focused and motivated. And at the moment, it doesn't seem that either industry or policymakers are geared up for that transition. But if they're going to affect um, or deliver on their targets, that there needs to be a major change. Our island communities are at the front line of climate change, so it's not surprising that there's so much innovation going on. The Orkney Renewable Energy Forum, ORF as it's more popularly known, has been around for over 20 years. It was originally formed to generate discussion around the renewable energy on Orkney. Board member Adele Litherdale explains a little more about the work of the group and its membership. At the moment we're made up of members from quite a diverse range of people which is great, it makes for much better decision making when you have a, a diverse group. So we have employees from the European Marine Energy Centre on the board and we have Aquaterra, an environmental consultancy group on the board. Uh, we have members of Community Energy Scotland, a community focused energy development group on the board and then we have members of the public, we have students, project managers, all sorts of different levels of expertise and, and background on the board there and we meet once a month to discuss kind of energy matters, uh, respond to renewable energy themes consultations from the governments of Scottish government and the UK government and then what we also do is we put on topic meetings for our members and the general public once a month uh, on different energy related topics. So for example we had a meeting yesterday on the 1st of December where the Just Transition Commission of Scotland came along and gave a presentation and uh, sought feedback from the general population on uh, equality matters surrounding um, the low carbon transition. So you know the remit's quite broad and the structure of the group means it's quite flexible that we can kind of change the conversation when we need to and that we kind of make up a group that's kind of greater than the sum of the parts. So we have over 100 members and actually I mentioned that meeting that we had last night and we had a representative from SSE, um, the, the grid operator for Orkney, the electricity grid operator, and they she called us the world's, probably the world's most energy literate community. So uh, a lot of the work that 
ORF has done really in raising awareness of energy issues and energy matters. It's well recognised and it kind of makes us punch slightly above our weight, I think, as a region. You know, we're a tiny island uh, off the north of Scotland, 20,000 population. You know, we're made up of a group of islands. Some of the islands have, you know, fewer than 20 inhabitants on them. So it's quite disparate. Everybody interacts with energy in a slightly different way. Um, So, you know, ORF just comes together and it kind of unifies the voice sometimes on some of those issues and gives us a little bit more clout in terms of steering policy or opening even just channels of conversation with uh, officials and you know other energy stakeholders like grid operators etc so ORF really kind of gives a little bit of weight to the conversation and you know to be kind of acknowledged as an energy literate kind of uh, society kind of shows that some of the work that ORF's doing is is making an impact on how people view energy use and prioritise it rather than just switching on a light and not really understanding the impact or you know that that has on carbon outputs or costs yeah a lot of the work ORF's done's helped around those topics of conversation. So ORF kind of stops before the point where we would develop a project. So probably one of the most fundamental project outputs from ORF has been the the Orkney Energy Audit that was carried out in, I think it was 2014, 2013, 2014. And it really gave us a full understanding of what types of energy were used for what things. So we kind of discovered through that energy audit process that even though we have over 100 and percent of electricity generation from renewables we're still heavily relying on fossil fuels you know for marine transport uh, for road transport and those types of things so it really helps you target where you need to put more effort in basically for ORF that was a really large output and it gives us like a baseline of measurement so you know in 10 years time so 2024 we can see if the projects that we've we've carried out have had an impact so it's kind of part of this evaluation and monitoring type of 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 affair as well um but yeah the name for orf has has really brought in projects for you know not only its board but kind of other members of the community as well so we have you know the community wind projects at ces were really fundamental in and then we have the tidal and marine energy test center um and, you know, the world's kind of first commercial tidal device going to be deployed on site. And then my expertise has been in the, the green hydrogen industry here in Orkney as well. So, you know, taking some of the problems of curtailed energy, which we have here, we can not allowed um, any more connections to the grid. So the hydrogen projects kind of look to mitigate some of those types of problems. So, you know, I, I think there's just really this identifying kind of having a broad sort of strategic aim of developing low carbon technologies it really helps us prioritize what projects we want to move forward but yeah a lot of it comes from discussions and and networking in the right way and making a noise in front of the right people and then being able to carry out the projects out out the other end you know when when we when we get on with these projects as well so even though ORF doesn't carry out the projects or the research and development because we all come together and discuss the commonalities that we have in terms of not only barriers but desires to progress. In common with Baron Battersea generating innovative solutions means that you also get to run into the practicalities and challenges first too. We have this issue of, you know, um, being unable to kind of interact with the electricity grid in the way that we would like. So we're not allowed to put in any more grid connections and we're really limited as to energy that we can take off um, just because of the nature of the grid here. Um, But, you know, the regulatory barriers that we come up against in trying to develop these projects, it's not just with the grid, you know, we're transporting 
hydrogen on the roads, for example. And then we have the maritime aspect, lots of goods and services are transported you know, over the sea. Um, and then we've obviously got really high rates of fuel poverty. So we're already opening that discussion about, you know, how do we mitigate, you know, if we're adding complexity and we're adding cost and it's already expensive now, you know, how do we mitigate against additional costs for people who are already experiencing fuel poverty or, or an extreme kind of expense? And a, a lot of it's demonstrating and de-risking is what we're doing, like in that research and development phase and putting the board members in a kind of position of not leadership as such in terms of you know bossing people around but you know people can come along and try out electric vehicles or they can come along and hear about projects so they don't seem so foreign or or scary concepts just for the everyday person so that that's a lot about what we're doing addressing the barriers that we've kind of come across um, and we know that other regions in the UK and further afield are going to come across the same barriers as they start to onboard more renewables and have the similar grid issues you know it's really paying that information forward and just keeping the ball rolling um, and reducing our carbon footprint you know everybody on the board is just really aware of the reason why we're doing these projects is really to reduce that impact you know we're, we're an island we have a, a large coast um, and sea, re- sea level rises and extreme weather events you know we, we feel those things already here in, in Orkney so you know it's just tying in that need to transition to a low carbon future and then also just keeping the conversation around you know why we why we need to do that to move forward and it's kind of like the opposite of nimbyism or the not in my backyard kind of philosophy that often goes along with renewables and you know if if we are not able to accept as a community that we are going to have to make some decisions around you know how we use energy and how we put up you know when farms or tidal farms or those types of things you know how can we expect any other community elsewhere in the UK to accept these things on their doorstep so a lot of it's just about you know familiarizing people with it and and they make the connection about the impact that these developments have on climate change but also how that's going to help their community and help them personally in the future as well so a lot of it's just about keeping people familiar or being energy literate if you like and but with that overarching aim to really tackle climate change back on the mainland on lithgow community development trust has had real success particularly with crowdfunding for their west lothian cycle circuit project we're hearing from trustee neil barnes who initially joined the group from transition lynn lithgow bringing along a proposal for Linlithgow Solar, a partnership project which has secured financing using a community bond model. And the idea of Linlithgow Solar is that we raise the funding through a community bond to install solar panels on community buildings. We sell the excess, sorry, we, we sell this electricity um, that the site uses uh, through a power purchase agreement with PPA over 25 years. Um, we pay back the bonds with um, a kind of low level of interest, it's an equity investment, and uh, the, the sites save money because the electricity they pay for that they use is lower than the grid supply, um, and the pro- any profit or excess that's made will go back into the community through the trust. Um, we started off looking at just a, a basic loan, um, and we got so far with that, and we thought, well, we need to do more. So before we go out and market even harder and use all our social media, Let's see what other options there are. And, and the Development Trust Association Scotland, who we're a member of and, and you know very well yourself, Paul, um, and your father and the trust <clears throat> in Inverclyde, um, 
know, you're always there to, to lend a hand and support in so many different ways, whether it's legal advice or organisational advice or funding or whatever. So we spoke to Wendy Reid, who is uh, the former development manager for the area and have known Wendy for many, many years. And um, you know, she, she advises to speak to Colleen Hinchin of Scottish Communities Finance Limited. Uh, I didn't know anything about uh, this entity, um, but anyway, I met with Colleen and I was very impressed with her knowledge and experience and um, discipline uh, on you know, financial matters. And I thought, you know, that this is something that we could certainly work with and could support our cause and maybe, you know, uh, we'll look at, you know, bringing her in to help us raise the rest of the money. And then just at the end of the conversation, I'll never forget, and she said, have you thought about a community bond? And I said, not really, I kind of know what bonds are, but, you know, I'm not really that up to speed. And she explained how it worked. I thought, well, that, that could be just the product because unlike a share where you have to have members and AGMs and a lot of paperwork, and I'm not saying shares are a bad thing, you know, I have a share in uh, the Weems Bay wind turbine that I was mentioning before uh, down near the uh, neck of the woods. Um, um, and, you know, sh shares have been very successful very successful schemes for renewable energy uh, across Europe um, and sometimes making 4% returns and more um, and still do. Um, but the bond was a lighter project, uh, product, financial product. It was um, less onerous, um, lighter touch, didn't need all the sort of um, you know red tape that you might find with a, a share or other uh, complex financial scheme whereby you need to have meetings and AGMs and minutes and you know uh, decisions and blah 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 so um, we went down that route um we came up with a portfolio of options five years seven years 11 years different interest rates up to about one and a half percent which was still better than a lot of high street banks incidentally um and and so we we, we repitched the the investment opportunity from a loan to a bond uh, we had uh, a brilliant person at the trust at the time that I mentioned before, Rebecca Holmes, um, who was a trustee at the time and she was working on the, the H49 hub and the community cake and Milan Lithgow and, and other things. And, and Rebecca had a brilliant way of, of pulling together you know, the marketing. Uh, and other people as well supported that. Uh, you know, we did various things, social media. We, had, we created a, a really nice, glossy community bond brochure. Uh, which we all helped pull together and, and Pauline got that printed uh, professionally and designed professionally. Went down into the cross, we went to the rugby club, which was the pilot site. We, 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 you know, we promoted it to the, the parents of the, the micros and the minis, the, the wrong, young rugby uh, lot. And, and, and eventually, you know, it was, it was met, the target was met, uh, as I say, if, a, a week before the deadline. We were absolutely delighted. So something suddenly clicked. Something worked. It was that magic ingredients you know you had the right people with the right talent the right approach social media the, the pr literature um you know a client who is really you know keen actually a local champion the right site and it just all it just all clicked you know um and i think that was one of the reasons why local energy scotland came back and said you know uh job well done and by the way we've now secured some funding for you and, and you know would you be interested in, in being part of, of, of a phase two to to extend your pilot across other sites that you know you've pre-registered. So that was a long hard decision because you know we're all volunteers. I've got my day job and you know um we've got a family and, and so many other volunteers in the same boat obviously and you know time is so precious for volunteers and really it was a hard decision and 
we kind of said, look, you know, we can't go along with phase two until we get, you know, a, a manager and a project development manager or whatever. But we were promised uh, some uh, funding to bring in a consultant, and, and that's what happened. And uh, whilst we still had some real major <laughs> barriers <laughs> in trying to develop the scheme, and it was very complicated because we had, I think, six funding streams in the end. <laughs> uh, we had two loans, the bond money, an enablement grant, and the Scottish Power uh, Energy Networks Green Economy Fund. Um, and, you know, it was just uh, so difficult to manage, as well as, you know, trying to keep our own funds in balance uh, in our own account and, and all the red tape that goes with it. But, again, we um, went out there to the community and we said, look, we've got these sites, we're developing these sites. We had to work them down from 13 to, to three sites, um, four systems, and, um, you know, offer that package of funding again, similar sort of uh, formula five, seven, and five, eight, and 11 years, and different rates of interest. I think up, I think we went up to 1.75% this time. So it was a little bit of a better return because we're getting a grant to support it as well. Um, and again, we managed to, to raise the money. We had to extend the deadline because COVID hit and people were almost a little bit more wary. Um, but eventually we, we did it and we got a, an investment from uh, Loop Connections Party at the Palace. We have an annual festival here and they were looking to um, reduce their carbon footprint and we saw this as a way of offsetting uh, and we agreed and, and uh, we were delighted that they invested in that. So that was a big boost to the whole profile of the of the scheme as well. Uh, and then as I say, uh, I mentioned before in our discussion, we've got a few bond investors from outside of Scotland, one France, I believe, in one in England. So it all just went really well. So the community bond was a great product, a great success, and it, it proved that you, know, you can do it. You can raise funding at a local level. And by the way, we're not the first ones to do this. I mean, you've got uh, 1,200 or so energy co-ops across Europe. And in Scotland, you've got so many that have gone down this road, whether it's uh, Harlow Hydro or you know, Calendar, which was one of the you know projects that really inspired us to went and visited there with the, the Scottish Community Learning Exchange and learned an awful lot from Frank and, and the Hydro Scheme at Calendar, which was brilliant. And, and that gave us the, the sort of real uh, enthusiasm to move forward with our energy schemes and we saw that as a, a real potential for our community. Like everyone I've spoken to, Neil is clearly passionate about the opportunity that community energy can provide. He's clear about the challenges we face and the impact of the pandemic on the pace of change. I think the secret to getting through this is what Rob Hopkins says in his book, um, From What Is to What If, um, which is um, a book written by the man who founded the transition movement and has now gone global. And he's written this second book, the first book, with the power of just doing stuff, just getting on with it and building you know, um, allotments or, you know, um, producing your own organic beer or forming your own currency like we've done in Bristol, etc. and Todd Desk, where he's from, where he founded the movement. But in his book, this latest book about unleashing your imagination to think about you know, the possibilities of, of future life. And, and this came out just before the pandemic. It was quite a prophecy, if you, if you like, <laughs> in some ways, if that's the right word. Um, but you can see if you just let your imagination open and see those incredible possibilities. And also that, you know, it might just be too little for individuals 
to make that difference and to get us to a more sustainable future. It might just be too slow if we rely on governments, but if we do it through communities, then we just might crack it. And I think that to me says it all. You know that you know that if you can make your community, local community sustainable in all the services and needs and requirements, uh, but not in a way that destroys the environment, um, then you know if you can take your society and local society on that journey and improve you can do it, then we might have a fighting chance. So I think, you know, there's a strategic piece here um, where, you know, we are now saying, well, can we to, to grapple with the big global problems uh, and help our community be more sustainable? If this is the way forward, could we make Lunglithgo a climate action demonstrator town? So there's a much bigger picture emerging now it's not you know a couple of pilot projects and a couple of pv panels on a couple of roofs and, and what have you this is much much more um radical revolutionary you know transformational um you know, we've proved that we can do it uh, at the micro level which is the, the minimum viable product um and we've done it again through phase two albeit we got you know a significant amount of grant funding for that Yes, we've got a challenge of you know no feed-in tariff, which is something that you know may be resolved in time with other grants and other support and the smart export guarantee and the local electricity bill, which is also going through the UK Parliament at the moment, which will allow communities to have more freedom and less licensing and other red tape and costs uh, with off-gen, etc., uh, and allow them to sell their excess electricity that they generate to other people and other. Um, you know, users and clients or customers in the community, and that would help them to generate more income to reinvest back into their, their own communities. So um, we are looking at the bigger picture, and we're also looking at the next phase of Lithgow Solar uh, as being a partnership with the Big Solar Co-op, looking at commercial rooftops. We've got the Young Energy Enterprise Group, soon to become a community youth energy enterprises company, I hope. We've got them looking at um, sizing up systems on various commercial rooftops around the town. We might be able to get as much as you know a megawatt, megawatt and a half, which is a bit like a mini power station. We could get as much as that installed in these rooftops and then um, create revenue, save the businesses costs on energy uh, by you know being cheaper than the grid supply, store the excess, sell the excess on, or use it for other things like street lighting and floodlights for the you know tennis courts or you know whatever or EV charging which is the other big revolution that's, that's happening. Um you know we are now seeing a, a, an exponential rise in electric vehicles, the electrification of heat and uh, through heat pumps. So there's all these opportunities trading your electricity through schemes like social energy, etc. So you know, we're very excited about the next phase which could be you know and we're already in the midst of this big solar co-op initiative. Uh, with, with shared energy um, and then potentially a, a social mass domestic social uh, energy domestic scheme with solar PV, uh, battery storage and trading the excess um, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, we've got the, the bigger picture emerging, we've got some specific projects and we've also started looking at a, a master plan for the whole town for all the energy sources and and, and uh, opportunities. We've got uh, various water bodies that we can exploit. So we've got the loch um, where we could kill the water, reduce the pollution problem we have with cyanobacteria, extract the heat into this heating scheme, heat from the sewer water, which is something that's already been trialled by Scottish Water uh, down in the Borders College. 
Um, we've also got the Avon we could uh, use for a micro hydro electricity generation, the same as uh, Hilo Hydro have done, although very complex, very bureaucratic, um, but you know, it's something that's there as a resource. And then we also believe there's uh, uh, hot water in the ground that they've exploited as well, um, which you'll find in many communities throughout Scotland, particularly where there's been you know, mining and um, silver mining, um, shale mining, etc., etc. Um, so, you know, it goes on and on and on. Uh, the opportunity is vast um, and, you know, we need to think much more um, strategically now. All of these projects have delivered innovation, helped tackle climate change and started transforming how energy is generated and used within their local communities. It's clear that's been a long-term process with ongoing challenges, but they've still done it, which means... It isn't impossible or ridiculous, it's, it's just hard work. And what it also means is that if you're looking to work out where your community gets started or where you go next, then there's a whole lot of people who can potentially help. And your first port of call should be Community Energy Scotland. If you want to find out more about community energy and get involved, your first point of call should be your local community group or development trust. If you're already active in your local group, and want help in launching an energy project, do get in touch via our website or social media. Membership of Community Energy Scotland is free to all non-profit making community groups. You might also be interested in our Community Energy Futures course, which runs over a number of sessions to introduce representatives of community groups to how our energy system is changing and what opportunities that will open up for new projects. Find out more at www.kef.scot. I'd like to thank our community energy pioneers for chatting with me. Thanks to Kitty O'Connor from Greener Kirkcaldy, Michael Hildrew from Cozy Kingdom, Ewan Scott from Barron Battersea Community Limited, Adele Lidderdale from ORF, and Neil Barnes from Linlithgow Community Development Trust. I was lucky enough to spend lots of time chatting with them all, hearing more stories than we could have covered in this one podcast, so I would recommend that if you can, you investigate their work further online. And a special thanks to Benny Talbot from Community Energy Scotland for helping pull it all together. Thanks for listening to 1000 Better Stories from the Scottish Community's Climate Action Network. If there's something happening in your community, be sure to let us know. You can drop me a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk We're on Twitter as well, at scottccan, and on Facebook. Just search for Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. Sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date on our events and training.